All right, we're just going to give the people out there another minute or so. Why don't you say hello to someone next to you? Tell them it's not long till Christmas. Eight days plus 25. It's running down. Are you excited? We've got a Christmas carol service coming. Messy Christmas. We're in the Grace Church Centre. It is a good time to be part of Real Life Church. If you um, are new here and you don't have one of our Freedom in Christ um, participants guides, you might want to grab it. They've got some notes that you can follow along in today's session. It's session number seven. But I've got a few more here. If you want to do that, come and grab one. You can follow along there or you can just follow along. We've got the PowerPoint. Make your own notes. That's fine. Let me explain um, what's going to happen. We are, this is session seven of the Freedom in Christ course. We're taking a quick break. We'll take a break for um, Christmas. We've got Andy coming to speak next week. After that, we've got our Christmas series, which will take us to Christmas. We'll have the new year. And then after that, we're going to come back and roll straight through the rest of the course, the back end of the course. As part of the course, after session nine, I think it is, one of the things they want you to do is have some time to kind of process all the information you've been given. All the stuff about the truth, all the things that stop blindness to the truth, processing things that we might have, lies we might have um, believed, um, unforgiveness we might have in our life, all those kind of things. And what they want you to do as part of the course is have some time to do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to set up a couple of evenings on consecutive Sunday nights in January 24th and 31st. And what we're going to ask you to do is come to those evenings. We're going to do one which is a guys' night, so all the guys can come. One is a girls' night, so all the girls can come. That makes childcare easy um, for if you've got that if you've got that problem. And you come along, and we're going to do it in here. Um, and we're basically going to have some time where we're going to hear a little bit more teaching and you get some opportunity to kind of put some things right with God. Things that you would have highlighted in your life. You might highlight things on the evening to do with unforgiveness in your life, lies you might have been hearing um, and believing. And so we're going to do those. So we're going to do the steps of freedom in those times. So I'll put this on the email and send it out so you've got it kind of in front of you. But just so you know, that's what's coming. And that's a key part of the course. You've heard all this truth. You've got it in there. God might be doing things. God might be highlighting things in your life, but that'll be an opportunity to earth it in an environment, kind of when you get some brain space and time and say, okay, we're going to nail some of this stuff and we're going to walk free in Jesus. So that's coming beginning of next year. All right. Now, where we are today, section uh, seven or session seven. Let me give you a quick recap. We had an introduction uh, about what the course is about. Then we had the first three parts, which are all about truth, believing the truth. This is the truth. This is what God says about you in his word. And we had those statements you had to read out, the things you, the Bible says about you. And that was really important foundational truth. Then we had sessions four, five, six, and seven, which are now where we look at things that are going to prevent you getting to the truth. They're going to stand in your way. And they are uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And we looked at the flesh, how that can get us away from the truth. We looked at the world over a couple of weeks, how the world can squeeze in the mold that gets into ungodly, unbiblical thinking. And today we're going to be looking at the last of those, the devil. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, the reality is there is a devil. The Bible calls him the father of lies. The good news is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared, why did Jesus come? It was to destroy the devil's work. However, when we looked at the kind of what the world does to us, we, talk about, we talk, looked at a Western worldview, and a Western worldview tends to dismiss the supernatural, dismiss the spiritual. It's not kind of 
really prevalent in how we live our lives. So we can be kind of not acknowledge the supernatural spiritual side of life and we can almost pretend like it doesn't exist and it's not there. But the Bible has the opposite kind of view. The Bible is always talking about the, the spiritual side of life, the supernatural. It's one of its themes that runs through the Bible. It talks about the kingdom of light. It talks about the kingdom of darkness. It talks about the presence of good and the presence of evil. It talks about Christ. It even talks about anti-Christ. It talks about all these things that are real and happening, and we need to take note of that. If you've read your Bible, you read the book of Ephesians. We preached through it at the beginning of the church. You get to Ephesians chapter 6, and you find the armor of God. Who's the armor for? The believers, the church. Why do you need armor unless you're in a battle, a fight? So actually, actually, there's a reason that there is a spiritual reality and we need that armor. And the truth is, as a believer, is you have a bullseye on you. This is going to get better. I'm just giving you the news, okay? I'm just telling you how it is. There is a bullseye on you because you're a believer, because you're a follower of Jesus, because you've made that commitment. One preacher, I know, he uses this phrase, life is war. Actually, we, we live in this kind of Western world where with the kind of the presence of so much comfort and, and peace to an extent, we, we see things on news, but they often they, they, they aim to happen a long way away from us. Not here, not now. And so we kind of get like, life's actually pretty good, generally speaking. Freedom, peace, prosperity, stable government, stable kind of economy to a point where everything's okay, but it's not. We are in a spiritual battle and there is a bullseye on you. And you, you have two choices. You can face up to that or you can bury your head in the sand. The problem is if you bury your head in the sand, your bum becomes a target. Okay, The target's still there. It just moves. It's all there. And we are in a battle. And Paul says in Ephesians that it's not against flesh and blood, against people. It's against spiritual forces. And if we don't kind of face up to this and think about this and process this, we can become neutralized because we don't know the battle's raging, we don't know we're a target, and we don't know why we're being attacked, and we, just can't, we can't process it and we can't face up to it. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a look at the kind of the enemy and then how to kind of process our defense against him. So the first one, Satan the deceiver, who is he? How does he work? Well, God created Adam and Eve in the garden to rule over creation, but if we read in Genesis 3... Disobeyed the law. Uh, disobeyed the Lord. They um, they basically gave in to Satan's temptation, and he basically usurped their power and authority um, as rulers of creation. Jesus himself referred to the devil as the ruler of this world, the ruler or the prince of this world. Paul in Ephesians uh, used this phrase, "the ruler of the kingdom of the air," which is basically his way of pointing the devil, kind of who ruled over this kind of the earth that we can see, kind of thing. That's what he's like. And we're also told in 1 John 5 that the whole world lies under his power. So this is him. But a few things we need to know about him. Number one, Satan is not like God. Satan is not like God. We tend to, in a Western worldview, divide things up between natural and supernatural. Natural is what we can get hold of, we can see, we can touch, we can measure. And supernatural is all the weird stuff we pretend didn't happen. And it's kind of over there. However, when the Bible divides things up, it divides it in two different categories. It has creator and created. And there is a gap between them that is huge, monumental. And on one side we have creator, who occupies this side? God. And on this side, created, everything else. Absolutely everything. Everything we can see, everything we can't see. It's all there. 
And there is no comparison. They are not equal and opposite powers working it out. 17th of December, 2015 is a big day. What's happening on the 17th of December, 2015? The start of the new Star Wars film comes out. And what's the big thing in the Star Wars film? Is you've got the force, you've got the, the good side or the light side and the dark side. And there's this constant battle and who's going to win and one time they're winning. What a load of rubbish. Although Star Wars is awesome. But that, that dualist, is just, it's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. There is no equal and opposite. Comparing the devil to God is like comparing an ant to an atom bomb. Just, they don't even come in the same categories. God is creator. Everything else is created. Number two, Satan can only be in one place at one time. He's a created being. He can only be in one place at one time. We know about um, he rules over some sort of hierarchy of demons. They're often called evil spirits, powers and authorities. He has some sort of network. But only God is everywhere at all times. God is here with us fully and completely as he is with every other local body meeting all over the world today and everywhere else in between. Because God is, and Satan cannot be like that because he is merely a created being. Which means, the good news is, most of us have already never met Satan in person. Because he would have been somewhere else. Okay, number three. Satan's power and authority do not even begin to compare to God's. If we go to Colossians 2.15, it says that Jesus triumphed over the, the, the Satan. It said he was, he was subject to a public spectacle, ridicule. And the image that Paul's using there was what Roman generals, when they've defeated their enemies, they would march through the city into Rome with all the pomp and ceremony of aren't we awesome with their armies? And what they do at the back is they drag the vanquished enemy leader who will be pulled behind the chariots of the general, saying, you are defeated, and they would be laughed at, and they would be ridiculed, because they have no power, they have no authority, they are defeated. And that's what it's like for Satan. He has fallen, compared to God, he has nothing. And Jesus now sits at the highest authority, the right hand of the Father, far above everything else, and actually Satan's power doesn't even begin to compare to God. Last thing, number four, Satan does not know everything. Satan does not know everything. Satan cannot read your mind. He doesn't know what you're thinking. He is a merely a created being. Those attributes only apply to God. He's all-knowing. He can see. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows the words coming out of your mouth before they even are formed on your tongue. Interestingly, all interactions in the Bible between angels who are also created and demons and people and stuff, they're all done out loud because no one knows what the other one's thinking, so they have to talk to each other. So that's the way it happens. There's an interesting incident in Daniel chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't the model king, but King Nebuchadnezzar had a really bad dream and he was disturbed by it. So he called his sorcerers, those who spoke to demons, he brought them all in, all his occultists and his astrologers, and he said, right, I've had a really bad dream. You will interpret it for me. And they said, fine, tell us a dream. And he went, no, <laughs> you're going to tell me the dream and then you're going to interpret it. And what did they do? They complained. They said, well, we don't know the dream. We can't read it. We said, well, you've got your powers. Go and... Ask someone. They didn't know because they couldn't read his mind. Then Daniel comes along, servant of the one and true God. And what does Daniel say? O king, I know your dream because God revealed it to me. And then he interprets the dream. And the power of God is shown as supreme over the power of those who would serve demons because they cannot read his mind. That being said, Satan can put thoughts into people's mind, which when you think about it, isn't that hard to do. Have you ever been in a room and yawned? 
<sighs> what usually happens? Someone else yawns, isn't it? It's just like it's not that hard. You've seen that pro, um, that program, The Mentalist. Oh, I love that. It's great. It's a guy who's who, who can basically kind of get people to do things by suggestion and kind of manipulating them. And it's quite interesting how he can do it. And the, the enemy has that power. He can put things into your mind. He can get you to do that. Often we can tell what people are thinking merely just by their body language. I can tell who here who is on the front listening to me and people are like, oh, will he shut up? Do you know what I mean? You can tell by the body language. And the Satan is no, no different. He can use those things. He doesn't know everything, but there is, he can know some stuff. Just like we can. Okay, how does Satan work? Number one, through an organized network of fallen angels. It talks about rulers and powers and authorities and spiritual forces in heavenly realms in Ephesians. It's got these kind of words which imply sort of hierarchies and different and he's got power. But beyond that, the Bible doesn't really say a lot. Which for us means a couple of things. One, we have an idea that there's something out there, an enemy force. The second thing is we don't need to worry about it because God hasn't bothered to tell us anymore. We don't need to know, okay? But he has told us something. There's something there. We don't know about how their organization or anything like that. But we know that they're out there and we have an enemy who has forces arrayed against us. But beyond that, the Bible chooses to be silent. So, Satan works through this organized network of fallen angels, demons. And the second way he works is by putting thoughts into our minds. Okay, what's that? 1 Timothy 4. That's it. The Spirit clearly says that in the later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So there is a way that Satan can cause us to sway from the faith by teaching us things and putting thoughts into our mind and leading us astray. And we'll look at a few biblical instances just to kind of illustrate this. The first one, 1 Chronicles 21. King David, you know King David who defeated Goliath, who was a great king of Israel? It says in 1 Chronicles 21, it says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Basically what David was going to do was call a census to number his... Um, his kingdom, and what that would mean is he'd know how many fighting men he's got for his army, but also he would know how many people he is so he could tax them. Okay, and in one sense, what's wrong with that? But there was something wrong because a couple of verses later, his captain of the guard comes to David and says, Why then would my Lord inquire this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? And what the captain of the guard knew that David hadn't seen was actually by doing this, by what you're doing, David, is you're kind of putting your reliance on yourself and the things that you can control. How many soldiers you've got in your army? How many people you've got in your kingdom so you can tax them so you know how much money you've got? And you're actually attempting to take your eyes off God who is the one who brought you to this place in the first place. You're going to take your eyes and your reliance off him and you're going to put it on yourself and what you can do. And the captain, the guy, Joab, said, look, this is what's going to happen. David overruled him as the king. And, and actually did it, and God was angry with him. It says, now the interesting the question there is, why did David listen to Satan? Because it clearly says Satan was involved. But actually, if you put the question another way around, if David knew it was Satan's idea, would he have done it? No, of course he wouldn't. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. The point is, though, that David thought it was his own idea, but actually we know behind it was demonic influence. The devil's influence was trying to influence him, but actually, David actually thought it was his own idea, but actually behind that, it was not a godly thought he had. What about in uh, John 13? It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Did the thoughts come from Judas? No, it's very clear it came from the enemy. They came from 
the devil. So Jesus betrayed Jesus, but actually behind that was actually the enemy leading him into that position where Christ was betrayed. And God's sovereignty, it all worked out as part of the plan because God knew it would happen. But actually the enemy was trying to get in there, affect Judas. When he realized it, says the Bible says he hung himself as a result. And the last one, but Peter said, uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, interesting story if you want to read that uh, it says peter says to ananias one of the the believers there he says why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and keep back yourself part of the process of the land there was a land him and his wife sapphira bought uh, sold some land got some money they'd given it to the church they'd kept some back for themselves but then they'd lied about it and actually the idea would be actually that behind that was the enemy. The enemy was trying to get into the church just as it was starting, trying to muck it up. They'd obviously um, tempted um, Ananias as far as to keep some of the money, then lie about it. And actually, the, thought, the thing we need to take away from this, not every thought you have is yours. Like David, he would, if he knew it was Satan's thought, he wouldn't have done it, but he thought it was his. And the reality is, not all your thoughts are yours. You might say things to yourself like, I'm useless, I'm ugly, I won't amount to anything, I can't do, dot, 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 I'll never be free of, dot, dot, dot. Those thoughts are not from God because they're not true. They're lies. It means that ultimately they come from the enemy and his kind of minions that he's trying to take us away from the truth. And so the way that Satan can get at us is by putting thoughts in our minds that are not from God, that lead us away from God. And the three main ways he kind of, he attacks in this way is through temptation, accusation, and deception. There is kind of his strategies that what he's going to do. And sort of to illustrate this, imagine um, the biblical example uh, that is used several times in scripture is that the Christian life is like a race, a running race, that you are to run towards the prize which is Christ at the end and, and that, that's, that's how it's to work. And what the enemy will do is he will try and knock you off that. He doesn't want you to finish the race. He doesn't want you to finish it well. He'll do anything he can to stop you. So what's he will try and do? He will try and tempt you. He'll try and tempt you, so you're running the race. And suddenly, from the side, because the Satan can't block you, he wants just to knock you off course. He'll try and entice you away. He'll say, oh, come over here. Instead of going that way, I'm going, oh, this looks nice. It won't hurt you, he says. Everyone's doing it. No one will know. You know you want to, and suddenly you're running the race, and the lie is coming, and you're like, oh, hello. You know, and suddenly you're not, you're not going where you should have been going there. Sorry about that. That was a bit too close, wasn't it, Matt? Sorry. <laughs> but he'll try and knock you off just by tempting you away, and suddenly you're not running the way God would have you. The next one was he'll accuse you because you're running, and he'll be shouting from the sidelines, you are useless. You're no good as a Christian. Oh my goodness, you call yourself a believer and you did boom yesterday. You thought this this morning. You acted like this. You remember back in your past when you did and you're like, you start believing these lies and hearing these things. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm not a good Christian. Oh my goodness, how could God possibly love me? How could he do that? And suddenly you stop. You're still, you're just, you're just, you feel crushed. You stop. You're not going to carry on the race. You sit down. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm no good. And all he's trying to do is just accuse you and knock you down. And the last one is deception. You're running your race. You're going the wrong way. What? Going the wrong way. Oh, okay. 
and suddenly you're, you're off the wrong way. And he's deceiving you. And he's saying, no, actually, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And you, you establish negative thought patterns and you suddenly find yourself going off in the wrong direction and not running the way God will have you. And God, Satan wants to knock you out. He wants you to establish negative patterns. He wants you to think you're no good. You'll never be able. You'll never amount to anything. He wants to deceive you into worldly ways of thinking so you can kind of think you can do it on your own. You don't need help. You don't need to be part of a church. You don't need to be reading your Bible. You've got this, God. You don't need to confess your sin because you can sort it out on your own. He'll do anything he can to knock you off course. And people who are kind of who know the truth will prevail in their Christian life because they will not be, they will see temptation and they will run from it. They will hear the lies and they will run to truth. And the deception as it comes up, they will see it and it will be exposed and all those things. And just to, just to kind of illustrate this, let me ask you a few questions to see if you're experiencing this battle. How's it going on in your life? Put your hand up if you've experienced any form of temptation in the last week. If you don't, I'm not looking up, but if you don't put your hand up, you're experiencing it now, because it's like, I'll lie and say, you know. And here's the question. Who's the tempter? Is it the opposite sex? Is it the porn site? Is it the chocolate cake? None of those things are the tempter. The tempter's the enemy behind that. They're just things. God, he's the one behind that trying to pull you in to something. And all these deceiving spirits are kind of, kind of get you out. What about this? Have you ever struggled with the voice of the accuser this week? Have you ever had thoughts or kind of come back, I'm stupid, I'm no good, I'll never change, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care for me, God doesn't want good for me, God doesn't want to help me. If you experience those this week, and I imagine we all have in some form or other. That's just the enemy trying to accuse you. It says in Revelation 12 that he accuses the saints day and night. You're constantly accusing, throwing things at you. And the last one, it's a bit more difficult. How many of us have been deceived over the last week? It's a bit hard, that one, because if I'm tempted, I know about it. Because I'm thinking, oh, I'd like to do that. And the voice saying, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, ooh, nice, ooh, wrong. You know, if I'm being accused, you feel that. You feel that it kind of hits you. But if you're being deceived, by definition, you don't know it. You don't know it because that's what deception is about. If you knew it, you wouldn't be being deceived. And this actually interesting is the, the enemy's primary kind of way to get us. And I know for me, last two weeks ago, I suddenly realized there was something in my life that I was being deceived about. And I literally had not seen it. And it was a stronghold. We talked, uh, Mike's talked about strongholds last week. And I suddenly realized there was a pattern of thinking in my mind that had been kind of ingrained from an incident uh, about five years ago that, that had set me on the wrong track and I genuinely believed it and I had no clue. And when I sat down um, with another Christian brother and we were just talking and it kind of like, I think there's stuff going on, I just don't, I can't get to it. And he talked and he asked me questions and suddenly it hit me and the light went on. It was like, oh crumbs, I've believed the lie. And the irony is, when I looked at the lie, it, got, it was so obvious. It was like, oh, you moron. It was so obvious that I'd believed it. And, and, but now I, I, I see it, and I'm currently working through the stronghold buster. We're going to come through that next week, about halfway through, 19 days in. But I'll tell you more about it when we come to that, about what it is and how I'm doing it. But actually, sometimes we don't know we're being deceived, and we need the truth and God to reveal it to us. And so that happens. The fourth one, 
by getting footholds of sin in our lives. So God wants, he wants to knock us off our course, but then he wants footholds into your life. Ephesians 4, 26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Foothold there literally means a place. A little place. I mean, I've been um, like climbing. If you've done climbing or something like that, you get those footholds and handholds. Once you get your foot on the foothold, it's amazing what you can do. Where you can suddenly push your whole body up by just one of these little footholds and suddenly you can get a lot higher just by getting good purchase and good kind of <clears throat> traction. That's what the enemy wants in your life. He wants a foothold. He wants a place where he can get his foot in and then from there he will just push himself into your life. And the, that verse there that says actually it's about anger. Anger in itself is not wrong. It's just an emotion. But how we deal with that how we deal with that, it says there you have to kind of not let, don't let the sun go down. You've got to be someone who forgives. This next verse in 2 Corinthians, it says, Anyone you forgive, I will also forgive, and what I have forgiven. If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for, the sake, for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for he is not one aware of our schemes. Unforgiveness, which we're going to look at in a later section, is probably one of the biggest ways the enemy hits us unforgiveness in our life where we've been offended we've been hurt often rightfully you know things people things do to us that are bad let's not let's be honest but actually how we react to them can be massive entry points into our life when we do the steps of freedom in the new year unforgiveness is one of the big things we're going to hit and even just to confess even in um the last two weeks god reminded me of actually, remind me on the very first when we first started the course on like the first Sunday, there was an incident where someone brought up a prophetic word about something, and I suddenly realised there was someone in my past I hadn't forgiven. It was one of my school teachers when I was, goodness, how old was I? Nine. I think I was like nine at school who had done something humiliating me in front of the whole class, and suddenly God highlighted this hurt that I had and that I hadn't forgiven them. And then I kind of I dealt with that there and then and got a measure of freedom. But then two weeks ago, another one was highlighted to me, but that I'd actually forgotten about. And again, in talking and praying, this this um, uh, incident came back, and actually it was Melanie, it was my wife, and it was something like I hadn't forgiven her for that thing she'd done. And I, I, as, as I talked about I felt the emotions come back of my anger at how she'd acted in a particular situation. And um, they, the person with me said, well, you've got you to forgive that, you've got to renounce that, you've got to say you forgive it, you've got to release it. So we went through that process. Um, and then just, I think it was just a couple of days ago, I said, I've noticed a change in you. I've noticed a change in you. And you think, Wow. Just forgiving something that had just been festering there, something I'd forgotten about. I hadn't dealt with it at the time, and then life goes on, and it just it went. But then I said, there's, there's something that's changed in you. And I thought, well, that's got to forgive you. you know. But that's what it was. That's what it was. And primarily for us, the battle is in our minds. And the Satan will do anything he can to get in there, hit you, take you down, and bring division, and just, yeah, and, and mess you up. All right, last few things, and we'll have to finish. Okay, the relationship between demons and Christians. Okay, there's a lot of teaching about this and all sorts. Let's just kind of boil it down to some important things. Okay? We belong to Jesus. Satan cannot have you back. If you're a Christian here, you're a believer, you are Jesus. That's it. Job done for all time. All those things we spread out in the kind of... Uh, I am, I am, that's what God has done. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have been transformed. You were once dead. You are now alive. You have been born again. The evil one cannot touch you. 
Okay? So when we're talking about kind of the demons thing, people get, suddenly start to get a bit nervous looking around. But actually, no, you are, you are Christ. And Satan cannot have you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus, said in 1 Peter. You are his forever, for all time. However, we can allow him to have influence on our minds. We looked at temptation, accusation, deception. So he does have some areas to get in. But actually, ultimately, we give him those. We let him come in um, on our minds. And as a result, he can neutralize us. As believers, he can neutralize what we do and or actually use us to follow his agenda. If we give in to temptation, we give in to bitterness, unforgiveness, etc., etc., we can, we can actually be used kind of because we're suddenly neutralized as Christians and actually we can be more of a hindrance than a help. Which is why, if you've got these participants, guy, when we did the first three weeks, looked at those I am statements, you know, one with page 17 and, and the, at the end of the first three sessions, page 25, they are so important that you get into them. If you miss them here, Keep, go back to them, speak them over them, get the truth in your life. Believe the truth, because when you believe the truth, you're going to be better at spotting the lies and dealing with the stuff that comes out and, and wear of footholds and getting rid of them. Okay, what about our defense? We'll finish with this. How are we going to defend ourselves against the enemy? First of all, we need to understand our position in Christ. We need to understand our position in Christ. Jesus came and disarmed the enemy. Then what does it say about Jesus? Ephesians 1, 19. Okay, that power is the same, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And Christ placed all things under his feet and appointed him to head over the, everything for the church. So, Jesus is far above, everything is under his feet. That's good news. Now let's read this one, Ephesians 2, verse 6. And God raised who up with Christ? Us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm. So where does that make us? Far above. Far above all things because we are in him. Not because we're good, we're smart, we've worked it out, we've earned our way up, but because Christ saved us and brought us into him, we now sit in that same place. We are far above. We have that power. Satan and his demons, they cannot touch us. Jesus even says in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what does he then do to his followers? Therefore go. You go in that same authority. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son. We have authority and power over the kingdom of darkness and what it has. We have authority and power in our own life not to let things in, to deal with stuff. The only stuff that's going to bother us is what we allow in and what we give Satan room in our life. So we've got to, we've got to understand our position in Christ, which comes back to all that truth we have to say. We have to use the resources we have in Christ. Ephesians 6 is the full armor of God. It says in verse 13, therefore you put full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. The picture Paul uses, the armor of God, the, the armor that a Roman soldier would have worn, and it's got a belt, the belt of truth. Truth, so you can see through lies and deceptions. You've got to know the truth. You've got to get the truth. You've got to understand the truth. It has the breastplate, which is the breastplate of righteousness. That means when he accuses you, you worthless, no good, terrible Christian, you sinner, you fouled up this morning, you fouled up last week, you were rude to your wife, you, you shout at your kids, you're slacking off at work. Poof, poof, I am righteous in Christ. 
I am righteous in Christ. I am his child. I am a saint. I have access to my Father all the time, anytime. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I can do all things through Christ's strength in me. I can be free from this. I can work through this. The, the accusations just bounce off. We have a shield of faith. But when, we choose, when doubt comes, can I? We can say no. We can choose faith. We can choose what the Word of God says. And actually, it says it would extinguish the arts of the enemy that come at us. We take that answer. We need to know that position. We need to know where we are in Christ. We need to know the resources we have at our control. Forgiveness, access, the power of the Spirit with us, the fruit of the Spirit growing in us, the gifts of the Spirit that we can use to serve God, serve one another. They are all there. It says in James 4 that we are to submit ourselves then to God, resist the devil, and what will the devil do? He will flee. He will flee because he has no power and no authority. Third thing, do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. Sometimes when we talk about the Satan and the demonic powers, it can get a little bit uncomfortable and you're like, I just don't know it. And sometimes we get, you know, our mind is influenced by what we see in the media and how it's portrayed and kind of how powerful they are. But actually the only big thing about a demon is his mouth. And that's all it's got. All it's got is it can just shout at you. It's like a dog that's had its teeth pulled out. What's it going to do? Suck you to death? And the reality is, the reality is we live in a world now where there is another invisible force that is potentially extremely dangerous. And for most of us, it doesn't, we don't even really think about it. And what's that? Germs. Germs are everywhere, aren't they? I've got small children. Boy, they're everywhere. You know, germs, it's just they exist in our life and we're just aware of them, but they don't, they don't control us, it doesn't affect us. We don't wear biohazard suits, although some place you go you might want to, but you know, generally speaking, we don't wear these suits that kind of internal oxygen and everything like that. No. How do you deal with germs? Well, you eat well, you exercise regularly, you know, you wash your hands when you need to, kind of keep clean, and then basically you let your body's immune system do what it does. Fight them off. No, no big deal. No one's freaking out about them. That's just the way it is. It's the same with us as the people of God. How do we deal with the demonic? Well, we read our Bible and we pray. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit regularly. We're part of an active local church where we're known and we're knowing. We confess our sins and we receive forgiveness. And then all of a sudden, we get on with what God wants us to do and not give them any more space than they need. Because they have no power over us. Number four, we guard our minds. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. We are to renew, be transformed. How are we transformed, it says in Romans 12, by the renewing of our minds. We need to be alert and sober. We need to take things seriously with the battle for our mind and everything that's going on there. And the image we need to look at is we need to turn on the light. We need to turn on the light and believe the truth. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark room. Dark room, how do you get rid of the darkness? Well, you don't get rid of it by shooing it out. If I push, the darkness will go. We'll try and make a space. There's only one way to get rid of the darkness. Turn on the light. And as Christians, we're not called to dispel the darkness, but simply turn on the light of God's truth. Listen to this. John 8, 32. Then you will know the 
truth, and it will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 4, uh, sorry, 6.14, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist. It's so important that we get the truth in us. It's so important that we know it and we're, we're getting behind it because then when accusation comes, when temptation comes, when deception comes, we can see it and we know it's there. The way they train uh, people who work in banks, tellers to spot counterfeit money, people who want to kind of give the pastor false money, get it into the system so they can, they can get something out of it, is they, they take the bank tellers and they basically train them on the original. So they are so familiar with the original that when a false thing comes, you can literally just see it. As soon as someone hands them a false note, there's something not right about that because they are intimately equated with what a true banknote looks like. And it should be the same for us as believers. We are so intimately acquainted with Jesus and his truth that when the falsehood comes, we instantly reject it. And this is all going to take place in your mind because your mind is going to drive everything else you do, what you think, how you act. That's why we spent the beginning of this course, three weeks, just hammering truth, hammering truth because we need to guard our minds, protect it, protect it from the junk that we watch, the junk that we listen to, the stuff that comes in the world that will use every and all opportunity to try and shape us into an ungodly mold. And that's why it's so important that we get that. So if you haven't got one of these, I encourage you this week, go back and reread those true statements out aloud to yourself. Get it in yourself. If you're not reading your Bible regularly, start reading it. If you don't know how, come and talk to me. I'll give you some options. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Get here. If you've missed any of the course, go back and just listen to them. They're all on the web. They're free. Go and have a listen to them. Get hold of them and get the truth in you. Because we've got a few weeks break now until after kind of Christmas, and then we'll come back to some of this stuff. So, do you want to stand? Can the band come back up? And we're going to worship. And I just want to lead us in a prayer. And we're going to sing, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to proclaim truth over us. And I don't know how you're feeling with all that and the talk of the enemy and the battle for your mind. You might be different responses, you might be feeling kind of a bit anxious, a bit uncomfortable, not really heard that stuff before, don't really like talking about the enemy, I don't particularly like talking about him either, but we have to be aware of our enemy, know our enemy. You might be thinking, right, I'm up for this, let's fight, but let me just read something to you. Ephesians, oh, sorry, Philippians 4, 6-8, it, it begins by saying, do not be anxious about anything. I don't know what you're going through right now, if there's anything in your life that you're feeling anxious about, situations, stuff going on. But it goes on to say, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, which what we're going to do now, we're going to sing, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I just want to lead you. I don't know what you're, you're feeling about anxious-wise. I don't know what the enemy's come out of, the battles you're facing in your mind. But I just want you to take a moment and bring them to God. Bring them to God now. It could be a work situation. It could be a home situation, financial situation, health situation. I don't know. Lots of different things. Relational one. What's going on in your life? 
bring it to God now. And as you bring it to God, tell him what it is, then start proclaiming the truth over it. What's the truth in that situation? Or maybe you want to you may go the other way. What's the lie I'm believing? And let's bring the truth in if you're feeling that anxiousness. God has not left you alone. You are not on your own in this situation. He does know about it and he does have a plan for you and a way out for you. His resources are there. He's not leaving you alone. He will give you strength to cope. If you see forgiveness, he will bring forgiveness if that is what you need. He will bring hope if that is what you need. He'll bring peace, says in the verse, if that's what you need. Because that, we often quote that bit, but then immediately after, Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In the face of anxiety, so it begins with anxiety, and it ends with thinking and dwelling on it. And you have a decision to make here today with the battle for your mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to fight? Are you going to take that arm and say, I will stand against it. I will not believe lies. I will not believe deception. I will not believe the, the, the accusations. I won't even believe the temptation that says, this will be better if you do this, because we all know it won't. Proclaim truth over that. Proclaim truth over what's God's doing now. And we're going to sing in a minute and we're going to sing some truth and we're going to proclaim it and we're going to enjoy what God has done in our life but you've got to make a decision now church it's, it's up to you because the only way the enemy gets footholds is, is when we allow it and so if you know there's things you need to deal with deal with them now and we have some time to pray at the end but let's um, sing something Phil and then we'll uh, see what God wants to do